From the Hadabur Catechism, let's read together Lord's Day 43. What is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works, under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the ninth commandment, the Lord says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The specific focus of this command is on the courtroom. It's about how a witness is to conduct him or herself. When we are called to testify, we must tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. If we do not, if we become a lying witness, the result is that injustice may be done. Someone may be found guilty of something he has not done. He may be punished for a crime he has not committed. Therefore, we are not to give false testimony against anyone. The Ninth Commandment also has a more general focus. It does not just refer to what happens in a court of law. It applies to all of life. The Ninth Commandment concerns how we speak about our neighbor. It warns us, not to twist our neighbor's words, not to gossip or slander, or not to condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly or unheard. The focus of this commandment is that in all we say, we are to promote our neighbor's name and reputation. At heart, this commandment teaches us about how we are to use our tongues. In James 3, we read about how our tongues are very powerful and how they can do much harm. James says, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. In our lives, we face a struggle to control what we say so we do not damage the name and reputation of those around us. As the redeemed and renewed children of God, we're called to speak the truth in a way that edifies our neighbor. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Christ calls us to use our tongues to defend and promote our neighbor's good name. We'll see that the abuse of the tongue is life-destroying and that the proper use of the tongue is life-renewing. In James 3, the Apostle writes to us about taming the tongue. 
When we speak about the use and the abuse of the tongue, we do not mean the physical organ itself. In Scripture, the tongue is used as a symbol of speech. When the Lord called Moses to deliver his people from slavery, Moses said he was not eloquent, but slow of speech and of tongue. Proverbs 15 verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. Thus, when speaking about the use and the abuse of our tongue, we're referring to what we say and how we say it. It's difficult for any of us to fully control our tongue. The tongue often gives expression to what lives in our hearts. Jesus made this clear when he said, How can you speak good when you are full of evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James confirms this in chapter 1, verse 26, when he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. There's times and situations where the way in which we speak shows forth the sinfulness of our hearts. It's important for us to recognize how hard it is to use our words to build others up and how easy it is to knock others down. Beloved, this afternoon I want you to critically examine yourself. I would like you to become more self-aware about the sinful ways in which you speak. Do you use your tongue in an appropriate manner? Is your speech godly? Does it promote your neighbor's name and reputation? You all consider yourselves to be Christians, don't you? Are you following the example of Jesus Christ in how you use your tongue? To help us examine ourselves further, it's helpful to consider the various abuses of the tongue mentioned in Lord's Day 43. The Catechism begins by warning us not to give false testimony against anyone. The Bible gives various examples of how false witnesses arose against their neighbor. 1 Kings 21 tells us the story of how false witnesses arose against Naboth. King Ahab wanted his vineyard to make it into a vegetable garden. Naboth refused to sell it because it was the inheritance the Lord had given to his family. So Queen Jezebel arranged to have false witnesses testify against Naboth that he had blasphemed God and the king. The result was that he was stoned to death, that King Ahab took possession of his vineyard. Acts 6 records how some men from the synagogue of the freedmen rose up and disputed with Stephen, one of the men appointed to care for the needy in the early church. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So they secretly instigated men to bear false witness against him. They reported, 
We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. In the end, Stephen was stoned to death. Again, we see how easy it is to pervert justice. By giving false or misleading evidence, a lying witness can cause someone to be punished for something he has not done. A false witness can have someone unfairly put to death. We need to realize that the warning not to give false testimony applies to all of life. If you are at odds with someone, it's easy to present a biased picture, to give a one-sided view of what that person has said or done. Our catechism warns us to twist no one's words. It teaches us to be fair in representing others. We're not to distort the facts. We're not to add or take away a little something from what a person has said or done, and so to misrepresent him or her. It can be difficult to treat someone fairly, especially if we're at loggerheads with that person. Our natural inclination is to distort our opponent's position in order to present our case in the best possible light. Our catechism warns us not to gossip or slander. Gossip is idle talk or rumor, especially about the private lives of others. Slander is the making of untrue statements about someone that are harmful to his or her reputation. These are pervasive sins in our midst, beloved. We mouth off about others far too often. We hear a juicy tidbit, and we can't help but passing it along. We've got all kinds of excuses for doing so. I just wanted to find out if it was true or not. Or, I just needed to talk to so-and-so because I needed advice on how to deal with it. And yet, by talking about our neighbor, we very often do damage to his or her name and reputation. Beloved, why is there this incessant need to talk about others behind their back? Why do you have to pass on the sins and shortcomings about your brother or sister? Can't you just zip it if you haven't got something nice to say? Does it really make you feel that much better to knock down your neighbor? If you think your brother or sister has sinned in some way, wouldn't it be much better to go and talk with him or her? Don't you know that but for the grace of God, you might fall into the same kind of sin? Proverbs 22 verse 1 tells us, A good name is worth more than great riches. Gossip and slander are very destructive. They break down our neighbor's reputation. Do you know what the result is? Gossip and slander often lead to a breakdown in communication as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Often it's possible to trace back who has been gossiping about you, who has been slandering your name. 
And when you find out you no longer trust that person, if we live in a climate where it's acceptable to speak about others in a negative way, the result will be that in the end we become a bunch of closed individuals. Beloved, if our desire is to serve one another in the communion of saints, we need to put a stop to all gossip and slander. How are we to support one another in the various struggles that face us in life? If we can't even trust each other enough to open up to each other, how are we to restore someone who has fallen into sin if little whispers about him or her are floating about throughout the congregation? Gossip and slander are a plague in our midst. You know how doctors deal with a plague? They do their best to stamp it out until it's completely obliterated. That's what we, as congregation, need to do with gossip and slander. Our catechism also warns us not to condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly or unheard. Here it speaks about the way in which we often make judgments about one another. It's easy to hear a story from someone and say, that's bad, it's wrong. But if we make that kind of judgment, we're foolish. Proverbs 18 verse 17 says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. We need to be very careful making judgments without hearing both sides of the story. Otherwise, we're liable to make ill-informed, one-sided judgments. Beloved, we've seen that there are many ways by which we can abuse our tongues. We do so by lying, by twisting other people's words, gossip, slander, and condemning people in a rash way. In each case, our neighbor is put down. His good name, his reputation comes under attack. There's that old schoolyard ditty, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names never hurt me. Unfortunately, the opposite is true. The abuse of the tongue can be life-destroying. James makes this very clear in our scripture reading from James 3. He uses various examples to show the power of the tongue. Our tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth that directs it where to go. It's like that small rudder that controls where a big ship sails. It's like a little spark that sets a whole forest ablaze. Although our tongue is a small instrument, it has great power. And the problem is that we cannot control it. James 3 verse 2 says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Verse 8 says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. In one breath, we use our tongue to bless God. And in the next, to curse our neighbor who's been made in God's image. 
James 3 reveals to us the depth of our depravity. It makes clear how badly we need the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. By nature, we're inclined to sin terribly against our neighbor through the words that come out of our mouths. Often we do so without even realizing we've done wrong. Let's acknowledge our sins and shortcomings. Let's realize how badly we need God's grace and spirit in our lives. And then out of thankfulness for the redeeming work of Christ, let's learn to speak about our neighbor in an upbuilding manner. Brings us to our second point, and it will see that the proper use of our tongues is life-renewing. Our Lord Jesus Christ lived on this earth as a perfect man. One of the remarkable things about Jesus is that he never stumbled in his speech. Despite all kinds of provocation, Jesus never spoke a word out of place. His speech was never downgrading toward his neighbor. Instead, our Lord used his tongue wisely to defend and promote his neighbor's good name. Our Lord was involved in many disputes with Israel's religious leaders. They attacked Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, for eating with tax collectors and sinners, for allowing his disciples to eat with unwashed hands. Again and again, they sent representatives to test Jesus with hard questions, to try to trip him up in his words. Yet each time again, Jesus dealt with them in a godly manner. He spoke the truth in love. More often than not, Jesus quoted from the scriptures to show Israel's leaders where they were wrong. Never do you see Jesus twisting their words to win an argument. Our Lord did not gossip or slander. He also refused to join in condemning people rashly and unheard. Jesus opposed the judgmental attitudes of many of his day. Luke 13 speaks about some Galileans whom Pilate had killed and some people on whom the Tower of Siloam fell. Jesus opposed the viewpoint that these people were worse sinners than others living in Jerusalem. Instead, he called all people to repent of their sins so they would not perish under God's wrath. In the same way, in John 8, Jesus refused to condemn a woman caught in adultery. He told the scribes and Pharisees, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus made it clear he had not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. We see the Lord Jesus' ability to control his tongue come out in a special way when he was arrested and when he was put on trial. Israel's religious leaders wanted to get rid of the Lord Jesus. They sought false testimony against him to put him to death. The problem was that although many false witnesses arose, their testimony did not agree. Finally, two witnesses came forward who said, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. 
This was hardly a charge upon which anyone could convict Jesus of wrongdoing. When the high priest demanded an answer, Jesus remained silent. Peter writes to us about how Christ endured sorrows while suffering unjustly. He speaks about how it is pleasing in God's sight if we endure suffering while doing good. He gives Christ as an example for us, encouraging us to follow in his footsteps. And what is this example that Christ set? He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Christ did not lash out at those who beat him or spit on him or reviled him or slandered him. He patiently endured suffering, knowing this was necessary to redeem us from our sins. Near the end of his trial, the high priest put Jesus under oath. He said, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus was not obligated to answer this question. No one can be compelled to give testimony in a court of law that might incriminate himself. Yet Jesus testified to the truth of this statement. He admits he is the Messiah, even though he knew that this statement would sign his own death warrant. Peter writes about this at the end of 1 Peter 2. He shows how Jesus was willing to walk the pathway of suffering all the way to the cross. Jesus did so with purpose. Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Christ bore the burden of our sins he paid for them with his blood on the cross. He did so in order that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So that by the power of the Spirit, we might be a new creation. Living holy lives to the glory of God. Our motivation for living our lives according to God's commands is simple. We do so out of thankfulness for Christ's redeeming work. We are called to use our tongues in a godly manner in order to defend and promote our neighbor's name and reputation. How can we do that? We need to understand that all lying and deceit come from Satan Satan is a liar and the father of lies. When we lie or deceive or mislead others, we are actually partaking in his works. Thus, we should resolve to speak the truth, to be honest in our conversations. 
can only have authentic relationships with those around you if you're willing to speak truthfully with each other. Although we are to speak the truth, this does not mean that we should speak it indiscriminately. We need to speak the truth in love. Sometimes you may know things to be true about someone else, but telling those truths would not be beneficial to him or her. It's especially the case where someone has sinned or where speaking about him or her may damage his or her reputation. You may speak with a person of what's going on in his or her life in order to offer support and care. You should not speak about them to others if that'll bring their name into disrepute. Beloved, if someone starts telling you a story about someone else, stop him. Ask if this is edifying. The best way to stop gossip is to refuse to listen to it. If someone's passing along something about the life of another, ask if he or she has spoken to that person about it. And if not, ask why not. The person you're talking about may not realize that what he is doing is wrong. Or he may know that it's wrong, but may be captivated by sin and find it hard to fight against. One of our great weaknesses is that we're so good at talking about other people, but not very good at talking with them. Be supportive and caring by addressing people on their sins and weaknesses and then helping them forward in their relationship with God. Most of us have grown up in the church. We have a pretty good idea of what's right and what's wrong. The result is that it's easy for us to make judgments about others. Something we need to be very careful about. A common sin against the ninth commandment is to judge people rashly and unheard. We hear something about someone and we're so quick to draw a conclusion, to make a negative judgment about him or her. In our hearts, we're inclined to make judgments without having spoken to the person, without having heard their side of the story. Often we have preconceived notions about other people. So-and-so has a big mouth, is always late, has a temper, is lazy, is greedy, is sleazy. Sometimes our judgments are based on how we knew someone a number of years back. Yet we may not realize that person has undergone much change in his or her life. That through the midst of difficulties and struggles, God has worked hard change in that person. That he or she is now living in a close relationship with God, dependent on his grace and strength to face the ongoing challenges of his or her life. Please remember Jesus' words that it's out of the abundance of the heart 
that the mouth speaks. If you're always thinking negatively about those around you, it's going to be difficult for you to speak positively about them. We need to learn to see our fellow church members as precious children of God for whom Jesus died on the cross. We need to learn to love one another despite our weaknesses and our shortcomings. If in our own minds we can develop a positive image of others, it'll help us guard our mouths against saying hurtful things. Beloved, if we can use our tongues wisely, this is life renewing. If you only speak the truth, others learn to know you as a trustworthy person. If you can keep a confidence without blabbing about it to others, it gives others courage to trust you and to confide in you. If when speaking about others you are upbuilding, you strengthen the bond between brothers and sisters in the communion of saints. To compliment someone for a job well done provides encouragement to try hard again the next time. Positive, encouraging words are life-renewing. The Ninth Commandment teaches us to show forth love for our neighbor in how we use our tongues. Our goal should be to maintain and to promote our neighbor's honor and reputation. Let's take to heart the words of the Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter 3, the verses 8 to 10, he said, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. By living in this way, we can show forth our thankfulness to God for his grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from Psalm 119, stanzas 25 and 26.